HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Do you ever have brain fog and need a pick-me-up? Magic Mind is a cool new productivity drink with a mix of 12 functional ingredients that make you focus and help you fight off stress. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Tuesday, February 22nd, 2022. We're on Heritage Radio Network, and we've been doing special episodes uh, featuring craft malt and local malt stories because it's craft malt conference weekend. Uh, a lot of things have been going on in the past year. Um, we really got to know uh, Jesse Boussard from the Craft Maltsters Guild and many other craft maltsters really well, and uh, it's been one of the highlights for me. Of, of Beer Sessions Radio has been getting to know more about craft malt. So let's go around the room and introduce everyone and uh, hear their voices. So let's start with Hannah. Hey there, I'm Hannah Turner. I'm the director of the Barley Malt and Brewing Quality Lab at Montana State University, and I'm based out of Bozeman, Montana. All right, welcome to the show. And Hillary? Hey, I'm Hillary Burrill. I'm here from Rabbit Hill Farms. We are a family farm growing our own barley, and we have a craft malt house on the farm where we process our own grains for brewers and distillers. And Jesse? Hi, Jesse Bussard here. I'm the executive director of the Craft Malsters Guild, and I'm based in uh, central Pennsylvania. Wow. So it's so great having you guys on. So I just want to get a little backstory. I know most of you, we've talked a lot about craft malt. I remember it was about a year ago. It was probably last year's craft malt conference. And I got to hear um, Hannah t- talking a little bit. Um, so I, I think where, where I'm going with this is um, we're just going to get a little backstory on everybody. And so, sorry, guys, I'm just uh, figuring out my system here. So um, Hannah, let's hear about your background in, in, in science and how you got involved uh, working with, with malt and a little bit more about the lab you're in and, and some of the work you do at Montana, Montana State University. Yeah, so um, my backstory didn't really start in brewing or malting, um, but it was plant science. And so I worked on golf courses in the summertime and really loved that. And so I wanted to learn more about the science behind um, growing that agricultural aspect. And so came to school uh, here at Montana State. I did both my undergrad and my master's uh, here at MSU. And when I graduated from that, I had a, a master's in plant genetics 
that was actually researching um, starch and how it's laid down in the plant. And when I graduated, I knew that I wanted to stay in Montana. I knew that I really liked being at MSU and so I was hoping to get a position here. Um, and the barley program was hiring. And so in the back of my mind, I was like, so I get to do plant science and research malt and brewing. That sounds awesome. So um, I was very <laughs> excited to take on the position with MSU. And uh, so that was in 2016. Um, and since then, we've uh, really gotten our malting program established. We produce a certificate of analysis for all of the uh, barley lines that are coming through our breeding program. So we Primarily, we support the, the barley breeding program uh, here for Montana State, which barley is a, a pretty big crop for the state here. Um, and with that, with establishing the lab in order to provide that data for the breeding program, we've also made that service available to third-party maltsters. And so we work with maltsters all across the country and even internationally, um, providing that analysis data. Uh, more recently, we've noted that the hands-on aspect of malting in-house makes us much better at producing barley varieties that will perform well as malt. Um, and so we've also recognized that that hands-on piece would be great to incorporate for brewing. So we've also got brewing um, out of our research program as well. Um, and having a lot of fun with that aspect. Uh, I guess outside of that, we also do a lot of educational outreach, um, trying to be interactive with our community. And so we get to work with malsters, brewers, distillers um, all over the country and beyond as well. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the, the basics of my story. Well, that, that's a great intro. And, and Jesse, I think it was last year, it might have been at one of the North American Guild of Beer Writers um, Zoom sessions. I think that you and, and Hannah presented. Um, yeah, that's that's right. T tell us about you and, and just the work you've been doing to promote the Craft Maltsters Guild and the Craft Malt Conference o over the last, for me, I, I, I think I got to know you about a year and a half ago. Yeah, so before my work with the Guild, um, I, I really, I also came from an agricultural background. Um, I, I did communications and marketing uh work in the ag space uh, with ranches and, and ag companies um, and farms and, and just different people across that space and uh, was involved in journalism for about a decade. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I ended up uh, along the way starting an events planning company in the beer space. Um, I got into beer through home brewing um, and learned about craft malt through a craft monster that was opening a malt house uh, close to Bozeman, Montana at the time when I was living there. Um, and, and kind of eventually got hired by the guild to help out with the 2019 conference and, and then eventually become their ED. It's kind of a, it was a, it was a, you know, yeah, I don't know. It was just seemed like it was meant to be. Um, but, uh, um, I've been in the position now for about two years. Um, and my main job is to promote, uh, craft malt, uh, in you know every capacity I can, and just help our membership uh, do you know be the best they can. Give them services and education, um, resources, uh, and and just yeah, that's that's kind of what I do. Well, Jesse, I, I got to listen to a couple of the sessions this past weekend for the first weekend of the Craft Malt Conference. Um, I heard an OSHA talk <laughs> about going into yeah. confined confined vessels and. Uh, of course, Ooh. I got to listen to the keynote speech by June Russell. She talked about really uh, bioregions. I know one thing, a big part of the conference, 
uh, is the Craft Malt Cup Awards. I know that's a big part of what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, do you want to give a little intro about the Craft Malt the, the the Craft Malt Cup Awards, and then tell us about? We'll talk to Hillary about that. Yeah, so the Malt Cup Awards is something that we've been doing now um, for about, well, the Malt Cup itself has been a competition we've been running for four years now. Um, and the awards ceremony is just something that we have always hosted at our conference. Um, we announce the winners. We give out another award called the Souls of Malt Award to honor somebody in our community, but it's an award ceremony. Um, and yeah, that's just something we've been doing now for four years. And um, Hannah can probably speak better to what exactly the malt cup is and how that all works. Um, but yeah, we, we actually have our uh, 2022 uh, malt cup best of show champion with us on the show today, which is, which is great. Um, so <laughs> if you want to hear more about the, the malt, you know, that best of show when you malt, I would say talk to Hillary and Hannah can speak to the co competition better than me since she runs it. Okay. Well, let, let's, let's build up to the winner. So Hannah, tell us more about the competition. Yeah, so the, the competition is really designed to celebrate excellence within our community. Um, we started off with just a single category, and we've uh, grown it each year. And so this, this past year, we actually had three different categories. We had a, a Pilsen, a Pale Ale, and a Pale Malt. Um, and in many senses, it's, it's pretty similar to a brewing competition. Uh, except that malt really has to, it has to function. It can't just taste good. Um, so we've designed this competition to have several different tiers where we're evaluating the malts that come in. Um, so this year we had about 58 different samples come in from about 25 different malt houses um, across the world. It's an international um, open to member malt houses, uh, members of the guild across the world. And uh, within those categories, we then um, categorically go through an evaluation. The, the first stage being uh, our lab produces a certificate of analysis for each of the malts. Um, for each of the different style categories, the Guild's Board of Directors has set kind of parameters for each one of the analytical pieces we look at. And so that first evaluation is just saying, will this malt perform? So in the, the case of this year, we had um, essentially three different base malts that were um, in the competition. And with a base malt, it needs to be able to, to convert the starches uh, to create sugars for brewing. So it, it has a functional piece that it needs to meet. Um, so in that first round, we're just looking at the COA, uh, certificate analysis. The second round then, so we've narrowed down um, about a third of the, uh, the malts from the competition and like go into the second round. And so on the second one, all we're looking at is sensory. And so we've got judges located all over the country. We had around 120 judges um, at something like 18 locations this year. Uh, a lot of brewers in that mix, a lot of distillers. We've got folks that are Cicero and we've got folks that are educational research facilities like our own um, journalists, all kinds of different people that participate in this. Um, we select people that are familiar with the hot steep method, but we also provide them with a decent amount of training and education so that they can do a really uh, thorough job with that uh, sensory piece. And so in the second round, it's just sensory. Um, every sample goes to two different locations and is paired up against three different malts at each of those locations. Uh, our judges make evaluations and send that information back to us along with their, uh, their feedback. 
um, they fill out forms to kind of give us an idea of what their thoughts are on that malt. And so we actually use uh, a program called Draft Lab. And so we've got to give a shout out to Lindsay Barr because uh, she helps manage that that part of it. And so with Draft Lab, we uh, perform the sensory evaluation on the second round. The third round we then go into, we've narrowed down even further. And now we go out to remote locations, um, our judges again across the country. And uh, we have judge locations that are both knowledgeable in sensory, but also looking at a certificate of analysis. And so with both of those pieces of information, the judges having their own sensory um, internal evaluation, but then also looking at the COA to kind of make a judgment of how functional that malt will be. Um, they then evaluate those samples based on that and narrow it down to our final winners at that point. Um, the last piece of the competition, so, so up till now, we've narrowed down and we've gotten to our gold, silver, bronze. Uh, but the best of show is a kind of additional honor to receive that. And so what that is, we've got, um, in, in this case this year, we had three different categories. So we've got three different malts that have won gold in each of those categories. Um, and so the, the best of show or the, the actual malt cup, which is a traveling trophy, um, the way we determine who ends up with that is that the three uh, gold medal malts kind of go head to head. So along those three stages where we've done our certificate of analysis, and we've done our sensory, and we've done our sensory and our COA, at each one of those points, uh, the malt is collecting um, points based on how well it performs. And so the head-to-head -head of those gold medal malts is just who's accumulated the most points, what's the best of the best. And so then uh, that malt house, which in this case was Rabbit Hill and Hillary that we'll hear from next, uh, that traveling trophy gets to go live with Hillary for a year and, and be a bragging rights kind of thing. <laughs> wow, congratulations. Hillary Burrill and Rabbit Hill Malt, Shiloh, New Jersey. Yep. You are the Craft Malt Cup Best in Show winner. We are this year. We're really excited about it, too. So I think the first question is, is, you know, the process. You you submitted just Pilsen. Did you submit other malts? You know, tell us the process of being part of, of this awards competition. We did actually submit two malts this year. Um, last year was our first year participating in the Malt Cup competition. And last year, we only submitted in the Pilsen category. Um, this year we submitted in the Pilsen and the Pale categories, and I don't have, I don't think we have all of the full results back yet from um, where we landed in the uh, Pale category, but we weren't in the top three. So we've got stuff to work on for next year. Um, but in uh, the Pilsen category, um, we submitted what is our best-selling malt. So um, it's it's our farmhouse Pilsner. It's made from two-row barley that we grow on our own farm. And it's um, everything that we grow here is floor malted um, as well. So that's kind of the, the top line of the process for us. It's, it's all homegrown barley um, floor malted. That's great. Um, were, you, were you expecting to win? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting to win, uh, but I thought we would be a contender. I mean, we've, we've worked really hard on our analysis for this malt for, since we started malting. So we started malting in 2016. Um, and from the very beginning, we've always sent 
all of our batches of malt out to, um, we use Hartwick College in New York to do our malt analysis. Um, they've been a great partner for us doing the, the certificate of analysis and troubleshooting, um, you know, how we want to make our malt better. Um, so we've been working in that direction for years uh, and we've always been really proud of our malt analytically. Um, the flavor component of this competition has been really key for us because I, I'm, a, I'm a much more of a numbers person. I can look at a certificate of analysis and say that I'm meeting or exceeding standards or I'm within the certain range that I want to be in. But flavor is so much more subjective. I've had less confidence in my own analysis of, uh, of flavor. So, uh, malt cup has been really key for us as a way to get blind, blind tasting feedback and be able to think about how we can change our malt or what might need to change about our malt, um, to make it, um, the best that it can be. So no, we weren't expecting to win. I was more looking at it as a great tool for us to use, to try and be putting the best malt that we can make, um, out for people to use. Wow. So when you guys, you know, determined the, the categories and the definition of these different types of malts, are, are these new, new definitions like for craft malt or is this the same that a commodity malt could, you know, would, would be judged as? Maybe, Hannah? So I guess I'll, I'll answer that question first. And then if there's something I do want to touch back on too. Um, so as far as the categories, um, we are kind of using this competition as a way to specifically divide, define these categories to craft malt. Um, so to start, you know, we went around the, the board of directors and, talked about what categories do we want to uh, include in this competition. And we started with pale malt. And so we've had pale malt in there every year. Um, and so as, as a board of directors, as a group, we kind of discussed what, what that malt meant to us and, and started there. Um, but as we build this competition, we're actually using the data that we're generating out of it um, and through Draft Lab to, to generate the descriptions that um, not just describe that category, but really describe it specifically to the examples of what craft malt is providing. Uh, and our goal there is to, to make a malt style guide um, that will talk about the different categories and what kind of flavors you can expect from uh, craft malt, and then use that as a, a tool to expand the competition, um, not only to the, the categories that we've already got, but uh, using craft maltsters around the country to, to build in additional categories um, and using Draft Lab to, to get good descriptions of those malts. So that's a project that we're working on uh, right now for the, for the Guild. Um, but, but the point that I wanted to, to touch back on is that, so with all of these malts, you know, each one gets a certificate of analysis produced through our lab. And then the, the judges that are around the country uh, put their information into Draft Lab. And so uh, competitors entering this competition, it's, you know, winning is great. And, and that's, you know, that's a really fun um, aspect of the competition, but really anyone that enters this competition is, is getting a lot out of it because we take that certificate of analysis, uh, we send it back to all of the malt houses and you get it, not just your data, uh, but everyone's data. It's all blind coded, so you can't see whose is whose. 
but you can see this is my malt and this is how it compares to the rest of the, uh, the field of competition that was submitted. Um, you also get all of that feedback that's generated through draft lab and the sensory aspect of it. So you get a blind um, you know, spectrum of people giving you feedback on your malt. And so when Hillary's talking about um, that being a, a key part for her in the competition, that information is, is shared back. And so um, entering the competition, there's, you know, there's a fee to enter it, but you get a lot of uh, blind uh, feedback on your malt as a, as a tool to improve your process and uh, incorporate for, um, you know, the, the next year's entry. Yeah. Hey, Hillary, what have you, I'm sure you've learned a lot from, from this process, but from the other, there's a, quite a few other really good craft maltsters out there. Um, and I guess we're all just learning, you know, how they measure up. Um, I don't know what, we weren't in person at the conference, but I'm sure you have questions for other maltsters. What, you know, what, what, what's like a, a craft maltster chat like when it's just some of you sitting around? We're always comparing equipment. <laughs> I would say, um, I mean, in general, you seek out the people that are doing things in the way most similar to you. So uh, because I'm a floor maltster, we're always, we always end up in little groups of other floor maltsters. And we're talking about, um, you know, exactly how you're turning out each batch and if anybody has any tips or tricks to make things a little bit more efficient. I would say those kinds um, of discussions happen a lot. Um, and then on the other side, I think that we're always talking about what has been the most successful way to develop relationships with brewers and distillers. So what are the things that are really um, interesting to the brewers that you're working with, um, or the distillers that are, that you're working with, what trends are popping up in your craft community? Um, is there a new beer style that you are all of a sudden seeing a lot? Um, and you know, how are you providing for that? So I think those conversations are always uh, really useful because it helps you maybe see a trend coming. If there's something that has started in a different area of the country, it's going to get to your, your craft community eventually. Uh, it kind of gives you an opportunity to think about what either what style of malt you might need to develop or what you have in your portfolio that you could suggest to people um, if they are looking for something new. Um, and, and it also just speaks a lot to the, the craft community kind of relationships um, as well. I mean, I, I've never had a craft maltster, you know, shut down a conversation, um, you know, that we're very open about giving information about how we do things in our own malt house and how you've dealt with maybe barley that's um, a trickier variety or a trickier crop year to work with. Um, I would say it's, it's a great, very giving community. No, you guys are very cool. I was also thinking about just how interesting it is that it's like you guys are really building like this whole new infrastructure. I mean, Hannah, you you at Montana State University. I mean, 20, 30 years ago, was anyone doing this in America? Uh, well, I mean, as far as the breeding perspective, I would say uh, shortly after World War II is when barley breeding really started um 
picking up and, and looking to create specific quality for, for malting. Um, but that was really centralized around the big brewers and what was needed there. It, we've definitely seen a shift in, in what kind of focus uh, we're looking at. Like our program really specifically is, is trying to, to breed for craft malt. Um, and so some of the shift that's happened there, um, you know, there's, there's always going to be an underlying breeding towards we need things that are disease resistant. We need things that are you know, drought tolerant or environmentally stable. Those things will never go away. Um, but I would say earlier on, it was more focused on producing things that were highly enzymatic. Um, we really wanted to focus on conversion. We wanted, uh, there's something called FAN, which is free amino nitrogen. Uh, we needed high values there for, for yeast nutrition. And so we were really breeding towards uh, a specific um, kind of barley that, that worked well for, for the big brewing. Um, now that we're becoming more craft, we're looking more localized. Uh, we, we have craft malt houses that really want to differentiate themselves from a, a flavor perspective and from a, a unique uh, product perspective. And so we're breeding more towards flavor and asking questions like, does variety matter? Um, which is something that we've kind of glazed over for a good long time. Um, when you think of malt, a lot of times we're talking about uh, the style of how the malting process went. So we'll talk about, you know, like a biscuit malt or a chocolate or a caramel. Those are all names that are derived based on the, the kilning process of how that malt was made. Um, it really has nothing to do with what the variety is that went into that malt. Um, but when you think of something like apples or, you know, other culinary crops, we know that variety to variety, you know, Pink Lady and a Macintosh are totally different. Um, and so we're starting to ask those kind of questions in the breeding sense uh, for barley varieties and asking, you know, what nuance of flavor comes from the variety before we even get to the kiln. Um, so there's definitely shifts in, in the approaches that we're taking uh, with more modern breeding. Yeah. And then you go, Hillary. No, I was just going to say, Hannah, I don't remember off the top of my head, but how many different barley varieties were represented just in the malt cup winners this year? Ooh. Yeah, that's, that's a really great point. So I think we said we have, I think there's 20, 25 malt houses that entered and 23 different varieties that were represented out of that. So it, everyone's really got something unique that they're working with. And, you know, some, some malt houses really find one variety and, and they like it to, you know, for across everything. And then you'll see other malt houses that, they submitted to the three different categories and they've got three different varieties that they're using for each one of those different styles. So it kind of depends malt house to malt house, but yeah, everyone's got something unique that they're working with. And, and part of that is that we've got um, malsters all over the world. And so barley is going to be fairly regionally specific. Um, and so that helps that we've got quite a, a large spread, spread of space that people are working from. Um, but even within that space, um, you know, regionally, we've got folks that, that like one variety or another um, because it works well in their malt house or works well for a flavor aspect or uh, whatever unique quality it is that they like about that variety. Well, those are good questions. You guys should keep asking each other questions because <laughs> it's kind of neat. I'll, I'll start, Hillary, for you. Um, so just tell us more about the backstory of your malt house. And I think you have a family farm and just this whole story of becoming the the craft malt cup best of show <laughs> winner so i um i think it's kind of interesting today that you have three different guests that are in craft malt but we all got there through agriculture um you know 
we, I, I grew up on a family farm in Southern New Jersey. Um, barley was not one of our main crops, um, for most of my life. Um, but we came to the idea of, uh, of building a malt house through beer, um, um, farming in partnership with my brother. Uh, he has been homebrewing for about 15 years. And so he was, you know, playing around with lots of different beer styles and was interested in making more beer with things that we could grow on the farm ourselves. And so uh, in that kind of quest for that type of homebrew, you know, my dad was like, well, we could grow barley. I grew barley, you know, 45 years ago. Um, And he goes, well, dad, you can't just grow barley. You have to make it into malt. And they do that in these giant malt houses. You can't just do that, uh, you know, in your barn. And I'm like listening to this conversation and I was like, I think we can do that in our barn. We just have to figure out exactly how. So, you know, my uh, personal background is that I got a bachelor's in chemistry in college. So I really like to look at analytics. My mind is kind of trained in the direction of, doing something in an experimental fashion and changing one factor and seeing what happens and following that process. And so for me, looking at what malting was, um, you know, and understanding that it's just having this controlled germination process, it seemed like, well, we can probably figure out how to do that and, um, and do it in, in a way that we can make something that's unique. Um, so really we were just pursuing it just to make homebrew. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then it seemed as we went through that process and my husband got really tired of like buckets of grain on our kitchen counter, um, <laughs> that we should build something a little bit bigger. Um, so we, we have a, a really small craft malt house. We started at one ton, um, because we were not confident when in 2016, when we were building out that people were going to be interested in buying local malt. Um, you know, I think the craft malt community has come miles and miles in the last five years, you know, and I think if I was trying to build a malt house now, I would be much more confident in the, that, that people are going to be interested in it, right? There, there is a lot of interest in this now. In 2016, I was like, okay, I'm making malt on my farm. I'm not this giant place, but uh, I think I can do a good job, but I don't know if I can sell it. So uh, we built really small and I've been very happy with that choice. I think we make a really handcrafted product. Um, we're up to two ton batches now, so we have a little more availability than we did when we started, but, um, you know, still a really small, uh, small operation focused on producing really high quality malt and doing it with grains that we've grown ourselves. So controlling that whole process from planting the seed through harvesting and malting and then delivering it to, um, to that end user. Hey, back to Jesse. Jesse, so we were very close to having this craft malt conference in person this year in Maine, and and for you know Omicron reasons, we're all we were mm-hmm. online. But 
what, what were some aspects of the in-person that, that you were planning for and looking forward to? And in particular, um, were there specific breweries that you were looking forward to, to, to tasting their craft malt mm. beers? <laughs> Uh, well, we, we had planned um, to do some tours at Allagash Brewing and um, Blue Ox Mall House and also the University of Southern Maine's Quality Control Collaboratory. Um, so those were three tours I was really looking forward to going on, um, and we were not able to do those because we couldn't go to Maine. Um, and yeah, I didn't get it very far to think about beer because I hadn't, I, I we, we made the decision to, to go to virtual before I actually had a chance to think about even planning the beer menu for the conference. So um, unfortunately, yeah, I can't say of any specific beers, but I definitely was um, really excited to, to go to those tours and, and check out I really wanted to see Blue Ox's facility and um, I mean Allagash is just such a like a um, you know well-known just legend in the beer world um, it would have been really cool to to go check out their brew house and see their um, cool ship and, and all that stuff um, but alas we'll have to wait till 2023 oh yeah I'll be there I'm looking forward to it um, I hope we're all there <laughs> oh yeah and, and Hannah, for you, back, back to the Craft Malt Cup. So, um, gosh, what? tell us about your lab and, and the, the things that you do. Because I, I, I can picture steeping, right? You're kind of getting the, the malt in some warm water or hot water. And I don't, I'm, I'm not even sure what steeping is. But tell us steeping and then tell us what, what, what your lab really does and how it works. Yeah, so just to kind of give a basic review of what malting is, we're so and Hillary mentioned it, you know, we're essentially we're germinating the grain. So we are taking advantage of the natural capacity of grain. You know, it wants to to grow a new plant. It's got a, a living embryo, it's got a lunch packed, and it's intending to to grow a new plant. Um, so malting is just triggering the natural state of germination. And so there's three phases roughly that go into that. We've got uh, steeping. And so in that phase, it's usually, you know, a day or two where we're underwater and then doing some air rests, underwater air rests. Um, typically a malt house will do like two to three um, sessions of underwater and then air rest in between over a couple days. And that's um, allowing the grain to start picking up moisture. And that's what triggers the grain into germination. It's, you know, kind of got an internal sense of, okay, there's spring conditions, there's ample moisture, um, temperature, you know, so all, all of the things in malting, temperature, timing, moisture uh, are all really critical things that need to be in balance, not too much, not too little, those kind of things. Um, and so after steeping, then you go into germination and that's typically, it can be three to five or six days. Um, our system typically were around four days of germination. And that's just allowing the grain to start the natural breakdown process of the internal structures that um, are kind of blocking uh accessibility to the starches that are held um, the, the major part of the grain is made up of starch um, so we're breaking down cell walls and protein that are kind of blocking all that up and then at the end of germination you're going into kilning and then based on what kind of uh, temperatures and moisture you're holding in the grain during that kilning you can create uh, different colors and flavors so if you're going low and slow um, you're gonna you're essentially kind of gently dehydrating the grain and that will allow the enzymes that have um, naturally been produced during the, uh, the malting process 
um, it, it gently dries them down and preserves those enzymes. And so that would create something like a base malt that still has that uh, functionality aspect because once it gets to the brewery, they're going to um, mill that grain, mix it with water, heat it back up, and those enzymes will become active again uh, to allow starch to sugar conversion for brewing. Uh, however, if you go into the kiln, you've got maybe some more moisture, you're going to higher temperatures, you start uh, creating colors and flavors through reactions like uh, production of uh, melanoidins and uh, Maillard reactions, and that gives you the, the color, uh, like caramel and uh, different flavors that you would get out of some of those darker malts. Uh, so that's kind of just the basics of what the, the malting process is. Um, in our lab, we, we do malt in-house. Um, largely that is for either our own breeding program or uh, we also offer that as a service to breeding programs around the country. Um, we typically are just doing a base style. Uh, we, we want to preserve enzymes. We want to be able to use that as a basis of comparison line to line, and that helps us make our selections. And so we malt everything pretty much. We control the malting process so that that piece is the same. We want the differences to show up um, line to line. Whereas in a malt house, they're going to take a specific variety that they're happy with, and um, they're going to change their program, um, whether it be year to year, if there's seasonal variation, or, you know, even field to field, you can get, um, you know, variation across a, you know, agricultural field. This is a natural product that we're working with. And so that's the, the skill of the maltster to be able to look at the barley that they're working with and adjust their system, because in the end, they don't want necessarily differences batch to batch. They want um, that that brand, that product to be the same every time. And so they're managing um, the levers that they're able to pull within their process uh, to produce that same high quality out of every batch. You know, when I listen to the different sessions of the Craft Malt Conference, it makes me realize ju just how it's a, it's a very serious business. Like you, you really, you know, breweries are depending on you and also your employees. And, and some of those talks like, Jesse, the OSHA talk scared the hell out of me. <laughs> I would never open a craft malt facility. I know. He's like, there's I know. confined confined vessels. If you put your hand in it, he, it's you need to be inspected, and you have to have the fire department on call unless you're ready. He made it sound really scary, didn't he? <laughs> I bet he charges a lot of money. Probably, but that was a good talk, nonetheless, because it definitely made you aware of, like, you know things that could go wrong in your malt house or, um, you know, at a malt house, um, if you've ever visit one. Um, but, uh, being aware of those things is, is important. Yeah. It reminds me of, uh, I, I had to get some kind of, uh, CPR type class. And, and when, when you have those pros, they, they really, their job is to scare you and make, make sure you know the details. But at the end of the day, you just kind of do it right. And you get your certificate. I mean, what about you, Hillary? It's like, you're operating as an agricultural, tell us exactly like what you are, your agricultural processing, you know, what, what do you consider in, in your county or your state? We're a farm. So <laughs> I, <laughs> we're a farm. And I would say first and foremost, we're a farm. Um, and my brother and I are fifth generation farmers. We've been living here our whole lives and we continue to we want to continue to be a farm. So the malt house, um, while it is the part of our farm that is growing the fastest right now, um, we look at the malt house as 
integral to our the sustainability of our farm and the sustainability of our malt house is because of the farm as well, right? So they're completely integrated. Um, we we don't want to have one without the other. Um, so I mean, I I also listened to the OSHA talk and was like thinking <laughs> about some of the things that we do on uh, on the farm and in the malt house and just uh, making some mental notes about how we should maybe look at some of our own processes a little more carefully. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, of machinery, large and small, uh, on the farm and in the malt house. So um, I think that part of the, the beauty of working with a smaller craft malt house is that you uh, can kind of pick a place if you want to that is very integrated with their their farmers um you know that is looking at where their their crop is coming from that knows the family that produced the barley that they're using to to make your malt um and can identify that for you so um you know if 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 where your food comes from or your beverage comes from is something that's really important to you then you should um, as a as a consumer, look for brewers that are using craft malt because those brewers are thinking about where their ingredients are coming from and making really conscious choices about where those um, where those ingredients are coming from. You know, one of the definers of of that our guild puts out as as what makes craft malt is is local barley sourcing. So um, that integration of of local farms to local malt houses to local brewers and distillers um, is is a lot of what we're we're talking about and you know it part of what is interesting to me about that is is the the flavor component so Hannah was talking about back you know a while ago um, the different barley varieties and how different regions of the countries are going to be using different barley varieties because that's a variety that does well in their soil and their climate. So if you're working with, you know, a craft malt house that's turning to a local farmer, you're innately going to be getting different flavors in your malt that's going to carry through to your beer or your spirits. And you're already going to have that as a way to differentiate your product and to make something that tastes like it is from your region. So I think that uh, that's part of what's the most interesting to me about craft malt and why we have a malt house on a farm um, is to talk about, you know, local sourcing and where your food comes from. And that's something that has always been uh, one of the things that's most interesting to me about agriculture in general. And, you know, for, for a long time, our farm, grew vegetables. And I loved to be able to point to things on people's plates that were grown on, on our farm, um, or find them in the supermarket and, you know, be shopping behind somebody who was picking up the, <laughs> the thing that I had worked so hard for and putting it in their cart. So, so now it's with beverage. Um, but it's the same thing. It's, it's finding that connection point and, and being able to taste something at the end of the day that, um, you know, you worked for for a year. <laughs> How about is, is there a beer out right now um, that 
from a brewery that's using your malt that you can tell us about? Well, we work with um, probably about 25 brewers and distillers around New Jersey. Um, some are have us in regular offerings and some are in more seasonal capacities. Um, if you're in, I know you said that you spend some time in New York, so I can grab some of the ones that are in the New York area. But if you're getting some things from uh, Cane Brewing up in Ocean, that they have a program called Field and Oak, which focuses on locally sourced ingredients and cool shipped beer. Um, where 100% of the the grain going into those beers is sourced um, from from us. Um, we also work with Carton. They're up in Atlantic Highlands, New Jersey. I know they distribute into New York some, um, and so some of their program um, that that works with their they have a whole program a brewing and blending program that focuses towards local ingredients and taste of place. Um, we also work a lot with um, The Seed. They're down in Atlantic City, and they are about 50% local local grains in across all of their different styles. So some lagers, some farmhouse style beer. Um, and then we work a ton with Tonewood Brewing, um, and we're always in their beer called Freshies, which is a pale ale. Um, so there's a variety of things. I think you can find craft malt in a lot of different styles. You don't have to think that you're only going to find it in, um, you know, in a Saison or a farmhouse style craft malt is, you know, reaching into everything now. No, that's great. And I I know Kane and I know Carton really well. Hey guys, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Do you ever have brain fog and need a pick-me-up? I've been trying this new drink in the morning. It looks like wheatgrass and tastes like matcha. It's a magical little elixir called Magic Mind, and it's really helping clear things up. It also helps fight off procrastination and fatigue. We all need that, right? It comes in this small bottle. I shoot it down, and I'm ready to get my day going. If you're like me and need to get a lot of things done in the shortest amount of time, Go to magicmind.co slash HRN and use discount code HRN to get 20% off today. Magic Mind is your best choice when it comes to getting more done in less time through the power of the nootropics inside. They even have a money back guarantee. Any first purchase will be refunded, no questions asked. Again, go to magicmind.co slash HRN and use discount code HRN to get 20% off today. Thanks, Magic Mind. Yeah. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Support and become a member at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. So, hey, it's the it's been Craft Malt Conference Month. This is our fourth episode of focusing on Craft Malt. And um, we've got some of the stars of the Craft Malt Conference here. So congratulations to Hillary of Rabbit. Rabbit Hill Malt House, who is the Craft Malt Cup, uh, not just the, the Pills and Gold Medal winner, but the best of show. And we've got Jesse Boussard here, the Craft Maltsters Guild Director, and Hannah Turner from Montana State University. Hillary, uh, we, we were just talking about, you know, your farm and, and your malt house and some of the breweries in New Jersey, like Carton and Kane and Tone Brew that you work with. Um, you want to ask Hannah a question? Because I think the two of you have 
a lot more to talk about, and I'm going to step out. So you guys just ask each other a couple of questions. Hannah, what I think one of the things that is interesting about Craft Malt is the creativity that's happening in all of the different malt houses. So to put you on the spot, how can we look at creative malt styles that maybe don't fit into a category in the malt cup? Yeah, that's definitely, it's like, so some of the things that thinking, thinking to the next year and what, what do we want to offer? And, you know, there's so many different malt houses that, that offer something really specific that kind of prevents them from even entering the competition. You know, like there's malt houses that do all gluten-free grains and, um, it's not that they don't, you know, they still make um, Pilsens and pale malts and pale ales, but especially where we're that first round looking at a certificate of analysis, it's, it's just going to be a different type of malt that's going to come out of um, some of these alternative grains. Um, but it would be, yeah, great to try and offer something that was either like a, a wheat style or, um, yeah, some unique aspects. And so that's definitely something that we've got to kind of think through and, and decide, you know, how do we want to expand the competition? Um, I think this coming year, there's been a lot of interest. This this year was super fun doing a, a battle of the bases and having three different base malts and highlighting the, the nuances and uniqueness that can come out of um, essentially three very pale, um, high enzymatic type malts. Uh, next year, I think it would be fun to start looking at some some specialty. And uh, like one year, we did have a, a light unit uh, was included in the competition, but um, adding some specialty things that, that could be really fun. Um, Outside of that, you know, like there's there's so many different ways that craft monsters are getting super creative with the products that they're they're making. Um, so some examples that I can think of, just folks that are looking back at their own heritage, and um, so we've got some research that's going into heirloom varieties, and so we've got uh, a research trial that it, it essentially was based around flavor. Uh, our breeder Jamie Sherman, when she first started in 2015, she went to the brewers and said, you know, breeding. Breeding is a slow process. It takes 10 to 12 years from when I make my initial cross to when I have something ready to you know, actually go to farmers and be ready to grow. So you got to help me see into the future. What are we going to need in 10 to 12 years <laughs> so I can start working on it now? Um, and she you know, consistently got from brewers that they felt like flavor was missing from the varieties that were available. And so with that, she um, developed this heirloom trial that has uh, something like 400 different lines that are from all over the world, all kinds of, you know, a lot of them have malting in their background, but um, they're just very varied in, in their qualities. Um, we lovingly called it the museum when, when we were growing it, because you'd look at the field and, you know, each one of these lines is grown in a plot that's maybe, you know, three feet by six feet, but you look across this field and you've got short, tall, you know, things that are light green, things that are purple, things that are on, that are on less, the, the variation among them was just incredible. Um, but from that, we've got maltsters that are coming to us and saying, you know, my family history, we've had a farm for, you know, a number of years. And there is this variety that we grew way back in the day. Is that something that we can revive? And, you know, there's there are reasons that we've stopped growing some of these heirloom varieties. Either they're, um, you know, not disease resistant or uh, their yields are, are tough. And so we can take the genetics from those um, and through the breeding process, through crossing, um, mix them with well-adapted varieties that do have some of those traits that we need and then specifically select so that we get the benefits of both worlds. We get the locally adapted, the, um, 
you know, disease resistant, but also keeping the unique flavors or aspects that came from that uh, kind of heirloom variety. So we've definitely got a lot of monsters that are kind of, you know, trying to tailor varieties specific to their situation. So I think that's uh, super fun. Um, but then also just coming up with creative ways to work within their own system. So, um, you know, we've got some maltsters that uh, there's there's one process where they've actually created a, a base malt, but then they, they want to try and get some um, caramelized flavors out of it. So they're re-soaking it and then putting it through a roasting process. And it would not have been the, the process that I, it was intuitive or what I would have um, said was the best way, but the product that they come out with it is, it's delicious. It's honestly, I keep a bag of it in my desk so that when I need a snack, <laughs> it's my favorite thing to, to just pull out. Um, so I think that there's a lot of creativity and a lot of, um, you know, kind of the same mentality that I think brewing grew up with where um, we've got some traditions, um, but we're not held to them. We're willing to look at what we have on hand, look at what we've got the capacity for, and then figure out unique ways to to create um, products that are really super interesting. And um, I, I mean, another piece of it is just working with brewers who have definitely um, in America gotten to a very creative, very um, outside of the box approach. And a brewer can come to a monster and say, hey, I've got this idea. There's this, you know, I want to do something pre-prohibition or I want to do something that's off the wall and you know I need a specific malt for it how can we work together to create something that um, is really from from our collaborative efforts and that's one of my favorite things about craft malt is that it's not here's a product on the shelf and and I'll just work with it because it is what it is you know as a brewer you can go to the malt house you can get hands-on with it you can understand the process um, and work that to your advantage um, which is I think it's great that we're getting back to that. Um, brewing, we talk about brewing and malting as separate things, but really where it started was, you know, it was all one process. The malster was the brewer, the brewer was the malster. And so that um, knowledge was inherent across, you know, both, both aspects. Um, now that we've become more separated uh, in those processes, I think it's really great that, that brewers can get more hands-on by going back to the malt house and, and better understanding where that um, product is coming from and, and do it in a collaborative and, you know, supportive community kind of way. Wow. I think that is really interesting, Hannah, how like the creativity flows both ways, right? You have maltsters that are creating new products with, with, maybe hearkening back to old processes or that are doing things that were never um, thought to be done before. Um, and then you also have brewers that are, that are coming to a maltster and saying, can you make something that tastes like this? Or can you um, take this malt that you're already making and maybe make it more this or less that? And the ability to have that collaboration um, didn't exist until craft malt was was there that two-way street right because you if you have a a huge malt house you may not be as willing to experiment um if you're working in 50 or 100 or 200 ton batch at a time but if you have a relationship with a small malt house and you can say convince them that your project is worthwhile um most small maltsters are willing to try something um, in the two, five, or ten ton size, and and you might get 
something amazing out of that collaboration. So that creativity two-way street is um, something that I think is is really important to to think about um, if you are a brewer looking for a, a craft maltster or a craft maltster looking to work with brewers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, here's a question for, this is kind of for Hannah, but for both of you. Um, so this now with what the, the guild's doing in the malt cup, does craft malt equal barley and, and really developing better varieties for the regions? Or are, are there players that are looking into other grains as well? I think, you know, so we always say no barley, no beer. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, beer's really been structured around barley for some of the physical characteristics. It's high enzymatic. It's got a hull. Those are um, parts that are really important to the brewing process. Um, but I think that people are really experimenting into all kinds of different grains. We see a, it's just a menagerie of things that, that come through. Um, and I think that as, as people work with those grains more often, um, they really are able to start dialing in some, some super unique products that um, are very viable options for using in beer. And it just further expands the, the palette of options that a brewer has to work with um, from just totally different flavors, um, you know, adding mouthfeel aspects, adding all kinds of uh, unique characteristics that um, make, it, make it a lot more fun. On our own farm, we grow barley, wheat, rye, spelt, and oats. So, and we're putting all of those different grains through the malt house. So, um, you know, that I think is just a, a testament to the fact that people are interested in, in craft barley, but barley malts, but they're interested in what else there is. And, um, you know, those adjunct grains, um, people may be a little bit more willing to experiment with a new flavor, um, or start there, have that be a starting point for um, their first, you know, time working with craft malt to work with a malted wheat or something like that and keep their base the same and really evaluate um, what, what different, what changed in the flavor um, before they, they move on to um, all of the different barley malts that your local malt house could make too. So like I th throw a little spelt into my saison or something like that. Exactly. Um, just a, f a funny thing that I, I feel like one thing great about the whole craft malt movement, especially this last year and with the conference, uh, a number of writers like Jeff Allworth and, and, and Ben Keen have posted about it. And I think it was Jeff the other day posted a really funny post. He found a book, a, a kind of generic homebrew book from 1971. And he was making fun of it because he said back then, basically, it, 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 the recipe was corn syrup malt extract and some kind of pre-made yeast and, and water. Yep. And when you think about how far we've come, but the idea that it's not even the corn syrup, it's like corn syrup and malt extract was what you'd use for homebrew. And I, I, I'm just amazed. I love, I love learning from you guys. Um, and I, maybe Jesse wants to sum it up because you've been, you've been guy in the ship. Um, and even Pete Brown, a couple of years ago, his Miracle Brew book was talking about ingredients. And he said, you know, typically, I think people, a lot of people did think that beer was just made from chemicals. Beer was made from chemicals. Oh, boy. Uh, well, corn syrup, malt extract. Beer is an agricultural product and always will be. Um, malt, barley, hops, yeast. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
it's it's always going to be uh, an agricultural product. You can't make beer without barley, without wheat, without oats, spelt, rye, and all the other grains that exist out there. Um, so I, I don't know what that is all about, but um, I think, yeah, it's an agricultural product. And what, and what we see now, it seems like craft malt is, is, is in the conversation and it's really exciting. And, um, oh yeah, I think, I think we're reaching a point of critical mass, um, you know, with craft malt, um, people are finally realizing that malt is more than just, a, you know, more than just malt. Um, there are varieties of barley and other grains that, you know, have differentiating flavors. Uh, we're learning about the whole aspect of bioregionalism and, you know, local supply chains and terroir. And, you know, there's, there's so many things happening in the world of malt right now. Um, it's a good, it's a good time to be a craft maltster. Um, and it's a good time to be a craft brewer because the, just the, the flavor palette that you have to work with, um, you know, due to the progress that craft malt, the innovation that craft malt has spurred in the world of malt um, alone, it's 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 just opened up a whole new realm of flavor and and that you can brew with and make spirits with um, that didn't exist ten years ago. No, and that's a great point. And um, I have been following craft malt or local malt for since at least 2014. So mostly in the Northeast. So um, I'm right there with you guys. And I'm just really proud of, of all the work that you're doing. Hillary gave a shout out to a couple of the New Jersey breweries um, that, that she works with. Hannah, I know you're in the lab right now. Is there a beer that you would be drinking if, if we were at the conference or you're off work? So I guess we're, uh, we're doing a tour tomorrow and we're actually going to be serving some of our early uh, beer production for uh, the governor's going to come to our lab. And so I've kind of got that on my mind. Uh, we've got some beers that uh, they're, they're essentially, they're smash, single, single malt, single hop, um, looking at three different varieties. Uh, one buzz that was just released out of our program recently, uh, another Odyssey that's been around for a while, and then a, a heirloom variety called Chalice. And so we're going to offer that up as our, our um, comparison variety to variety. If you do everything the same, just uh, nuance that one variety, the flavors that you come out of it. So that, those would be the beers I would be drinking right now if I wasn't uh, on campus. <laughs> and what about you, Jesse? Oh, I'll be reaching for the whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I, and I get uh, from Connecticut OEC Brewing. Um, I'm drinking a farmhouse wheat made with Thrall Family Farm wheat, which uh, is, is something local to them as well. Do you know them, Hillary? Thrall Family Farm, Connecticut. Yeah, yeah. I've I've met Spencer Thrall before, and it's another story of like a multi generational family farm that built a malt house um, on their farm. So, yep, that's great. I learned a lot from you guys, and I really appreciate coming on. Um, and I know you guys have more coming up with the Craft Malt Conference, um, and people will be listening to this show for for many weeks to come. So, thanks so much, uh, Hannah, Hillary, and Jesse. Uh, and thanks to Armin, our engineer. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host here on Beer Sessions Radio. We'll catch you next time on Heritage Radio Network. Thanks so much. All right. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at 
facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.